Hi everyone, welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, coming off of a 21-16 Green Bay Packers victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Boy, there's a lot to dissect from this one, whether you want to talk about the 21-0 start, the Vikings rally, the interception in the end zone. Second week in a row, the Packers defense preserves a victory with an end zone interception late in the fourth quarter. Bottom line is the Packers got through these first two division games at 2-0, and and uh, you can't ask to be in a better position. It's a great spot for the Packers to be in right now, Michael. The Packers off to their first 2-0 start since 2015, their first 2-0 start in the NFC North since 2013. Uh, so it's been a minute trying to get some momentum back. And one thing that really stuck with me in the locker room yesterday, it didn't even make its way into my post-game content, but it was a quote that Kenny Clark said that I thought really hit home with me in that we're just trying to get back to winning again. Yeah. Um, you got to remember, there's some guys in this 2016 draft class that they went to the NFC Championship game as rookies, and they haven't been in the playoffs the past two years. The 2017 and 18 draft classes haven't been to the playoffs at all. They haven't tasted so, much success, frankly. And the fact that I looked it up, too, this is the first back-to-back -back wins the Packers have had since Tampa Bay and Cleveland in 2017, December of 17. So to change that narrative was, I think, really important. We've, we discussed this so many different times, Michael. I'm not all about the whole fast start mentality. I, I think you are what you are at the end of the season, and you just try to get the wins when you can get them. But that being said, I mean, you cannot discount the fact that wins in the NFC North this time of the year put you in the driver's seat in good position for how the season's going to unfold. And right now the Packers, for all the ups and downs here early on, they are what their record says they are. Well, this game on Sunday against the Vikings could not have started any better for the Green Bay Packers. By the first minute of the second quarter, the Packers were ahead 21 to nothing. The offense had put together three touchdown drives. I believe I counted it was 19 plays, and 13 of those 19 plays gained six or more yards. Yeah. I mean, they were just they were just taking the field in chunks from the Minnesota Vikings the first three drives. In the meantime, the Vikings had had a drive and a missed field goal and then also a turnover that gave the Packers a short field. So things were sitting at 21 to nothing. Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers in the offense. Everything was clicking. The defense was flying high. And then... Really, it was that 75-yard run by Dalvin yeah. Cook that it got the Vikings back into the game, and it seemed to just completely shift the momentum of the football game. So it's very interesting. One of your big keys to this game that we talked about last week is you thought if Aaron Jones had more rushing yards than Dalvin Cook, yeah. the Packers would win this game. That's not to say that that couldn't be. They couldn't still that Cook still couldn't have more rushing yards, and the Packers couldn't win it. But what I really liked about that theory is that to me. Those two guys really determine the outcome of this football game. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, offensively, Aaron Jones is the most consistent player on the field for the Packers. 23 carries, 116 yards, one touchdown off the two-yard run uh, out of the pistol formation in the second quarter. He did not have a carry of more than 15 yards, but yet he was so consistent. The offensive line gave him room to work with, and he helped them finish that game with the four-minute offense. They also tested out that new little package where him and Jamal Williams are both on the field together. They have yeah. Jones coming on jet sweeps. To me, I wrote about it on Packers.com. Aaron Jones, this game showed what he was capable of in this offense. In terms of Delvin Cook, why I think that he had a big outcome on this isn't just the 75-yard run. 
this is the first time that the Packers defense got punched in the mouth, mm-hmm. that they got tested, that their their will to to hold their ground when things maybe aren't going their way really was stressed. And while they did give up three big uh, plays in that way, they still were able to bounce back and get the stops when they needed them to. That's what the Packers need to do defensively this season. They need to answer that call when the times are going that the offense maybe not isn't putting up 42 points. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought was impressive about that performance. Yeah, I mean, everybody's wondering, okay, how can the Packers' offense score three quick touchdowns and then the offense sort of disappears and things were such a struggle the rest of the game? I'll say a couple of things. One, early in the season, September football, unscouted looks and all that, the Packers clearly were pencil-whipping the Vikes, I guess is what I like to say, in terms of just drawing stuff up, X's and O's, the stuff they were using early in the game. They were catching the Vikings off guard. Things were working. Things were clicking. You can't play 60 minutes of football that way. Nobody can draw up that many... Not at that level. ...that many brand-new things when you're playing in the NFL. So that sort of ran out on the Packers. And the the other two things I will say is that, A, the Vikings' defense is still pretty good, and they proved it. But, B... There were a couple of opportunities in the second quarter when the Packers had a chance to extend this lead when the Vikings were getting back into the game where they did it to themselves. I mean, Geronimo Allison catches a short swing pass, has a first down, he's fighting for extra yards, he coughs up the ball. And then all the confusion towards the end of the first half when Aaron Rodgers thought he had a first down with Geronimo Allison, then the ball gets spotted. It was actually fourth down. Rodgers thought he was just running a play on first down and hustling everybody up to prevent them from reviewing the spot of the ball under two minutes. But the spot of the ball actually was fourth down, and Matt LaFleur didn't communicate to Aaron Rodgers, hey, I want to kick the field goal. It was a big miscommunication, a big misunderstanding that was going on. The bottom line is... It cost the Packers a shot at a 43-yard field goal, which you like Mason Crosby's chances there. So as much as the pencil-whipping stuff ran itself out and the Vikings' defense stepped up, the Packers also had a couple of opportunities where they simply shot themselves in the foot. And and this the Packers should have had more than 21 points in this game. Yeah, that two-minute series was weird at the end because it was a terrible spot. Uh, the referees just blew that, where it looked like, to me, at least my eye, Allison, I believe it was Allison. Yes, it was Allison got on stopped the catch. Before, I mean, it was for no gain, but yet they, the way they marked it, it looked like a first down. Well, that that was the thing, is from, from where we were in the press box, it was basically on that sideline, and it was right below us. And when the side judge or line judge, whatever they call him, when he initially spotted the ball with his foot, he was giving Allison the first yes. down, and that's what Rodgers saw. And I was thinking, like, oh, well, they're going to review this. Yes. They're going to review the spot because that, that was definitely a bad spot. Well, then somewhere between where he was spotting the ball along the sideline and then when they put it on the hash mark, they actually put it in a more correct place because yeah. they did spot it short of the first down, except Rodgers didn't see that change in right. things and didn't know – that it was actually fourth down, so it, it was it, it was a big it was a big mix up, and unfortunately, in in the haste of you know trying to hustle up and do something quickly, and it ended up cost, 
costing the Packers a scoring opportunity. Yeah, it was a bizarre sequence yeah. because to me it looked like, and it was a great job by the Vikings. They gang tackled. The, the first guy held him up. The second guy came and helped out. I thought they stopped him. I mean, I, I, they, I, I thought ultimately the spot was correct, yeah. even though Aaron Rodgers misunderstood what was going on. But then on. when the referee, the side Jones throws the referee, they give him the extra yard, then it's back. I mean, you can understand why Rodgers, you know, wasn't able to understand that at that point. I thought something that Lafleur said hit it right in the head. I mean, it's it's a moment. You're going to learn from that, and you'll keep persevering on after it. Because I don't think anyone was really to blame, to be honest with you. I think Rodgers did the heads-up thing, thinking that they had the first down to keep things moving, because now you're inside two minutes, and the booth review has to be one that Right, if, and if he can get the snap off before they before they stop play. Rodgers, essentially what I wrote in my column, in my editorial, was that Rodgers was willing to sacrifice the first down play yeah, of the next absolutely. series to prevent the review from happening. And then... With enough time on the clock, he was going to let the clock run down to a minute or so and assess the rest of the series, second down, third down, see if you can still move the ball and get a touchdown or if you settle for a field goal. The key being not leaving the Vikings any more time at the end of the first half to try to score. And ultimately, that was the mentality that cost the Packers because really what happened is they should have used one of their timeouts there. But I think in the back of their minds, they didn't, you know, at least from Lafleur's point of view, he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to leave any time for the Vikings. And by calling a timeout, he's obviously going to stop the clock. So there were a lot of thoughts and strategies and everything that were going on there. It was all happening really, really fast. And unfortunately, the Packers still went into halftime with just 21. Yeah, and then that was a tough one too because it was such an emotional play right before that. I mean, Darnell Savage made a phenomenal uh, did a phenomenal job of breaking up a pass from Kirk Cousins in the middle field. It tips up. Preston Smith just plays all over the place, so he was in the vicinity of the ball. He got the interception. That's what allowed the Packers to take over yeah. at their uh, the Minnesota 47, and you're in a position to put more points on the board. It, it was – it. Again, I think these are the things that you have to work through early in the season. But as we saw last year, Mike, it's easier to work through these things when you're winning. When when you have when you have that taste of victory, when you have the win in the the win column, because everybody to some extent is dealing with something this time of the year. So the the big keys that I took away offensively for the Packers were Devontae Adams was right where they needed him to be when they needed him to be there. Three of the five third down conversions that they made were Devontae Adams. Uh, it was a big reason for their success on third downs in the first half before that waned in the second half. And then when Rodgers needed to run out the clock, him and Bakhtiari went to the huddle. They said, we need two first downs to seal this game yep. after the defense got them another stop. Yep. And that's exactly what they did with the, the 13-yard run by Aaron Jones, the 7-yard pass to Devontae Adams. Packers came out victorious. Yeah. Uh, real quickly here, Wes, before I forget, select Cousin Subs locations are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering catering or your favorite subs, they're delivering right to you when you order online at CousinSubs.com. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, in the fourth quarter here, Wes, the Minnesota Vikings, you had mentioned they hit on the big plays. Dalvin Cook gets the 75-yard touchdown run. There's the uh, 61-yard catch and run by Chad Beebe, which I give Kirk Cousins credit. He was going down, and he flips the ball to him, and then the guy takes off. That ends up getting the Vikings a field goal after a touchdown was wiped out by the replay review, which is a topic perhaps for another day. Then in the second half, the 45-yard touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs, and then with him taking off his helmet and getting a penalty, the Packers actually blocked the extra point. So we're at 21-16. to But then from basically five minutes left in the third quarter to three minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Minnesota Vikings had four possessions with a chance to score and take the lead 
after being down 21 to nothing early and the Packers defense got the stop on all four possessions. And yes, the Kevin King interception in the end zone, that's the highlight of it. It was goal to go from the eight yard line. But when you look at, I mean, four consecutive possessions, Wes, because the yeah. Packers offense was not able to add to the lead. This Packers defense stood tall and got the stops when they needed it. And uh, um, boy, just just an impressive closeout performance by Green Bay's defense. So a few things here. The first one is uh, we talk a lot about that interception for Kevin King. Absolutely. The pressure that Dean Lowry had. Lowry, it won't show up in the stat box. He had one of his best days in a Packers uniform in this game. Yeah, he played really well. They knew that he was a factor. The boot action was going to be a big thing with Kirk Cousins. It was basically Dean Lowry's job to shut that down, and he did that. When you have a six foot six guy in your face, it's going to make life difficult on the quarterback. Yeah, he made those throws tough for Cousins. But the other thing I want to highlight here that I don't think you can overlook, and it's an underrated aspect of this game, is the Tony Brown block. You have to understand, when you get a touchdown like that, and there was so much mo- momentum that the Vikings are extracting at that point, they're within no a score. Question. They end up getting, as you mentioned, the, the with Diggs taking his helmet off, a 15-yard penalty. Makes it a 48-yard point after attempt now for Dan Bailey after the Packers chose to use the personal foul right. on that play. Right, instead of on the kickoff. On the kickoff. Right. So Tony Brown comes through and blocks, and I asked Tony about this in the locker room afterwards, and he said, I mean, that's a moment that should just be unilaterally, you know, big for the Vikings in terms of momentum. That took something away from it. And then the Vikings come back offensively. A really unique game for Kirk Cousins. I mean, only 14 of 32. If you take away his three explosive plays, he was only 11 of 29 for like 94 yards in this game. It was really bizarre. But the Packers defense, particularly in the red zone again, showed up. And when it did finally look like Cousins was driving with the Vikings offense, Lowry gets the pressure, King gets the interception, and then when you need the stops down the 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 stretch they got them yeah the Packers didn't do it with 20 sacks either they only had one it was Kevin King or Kevin Kenny Clarks and it was a huge one early on but with the turnover with the strip sack yep but what they did is they just came together as a group and I thought you saw the pass rush in the secondary really working in sync together well the other thing I will say too about the explosive plays obviously the Packers defense uh, not happy with allowing those three explosive plays that led to all 16 points for the Vikings, but the fourth explosive play the Vikings had, the 30-yard catch yeah. to Thielen that got them out to midfield. I'm still not convinced he caught the ball, but again, that's a discussion for another day. The replay, the, the Packers challenged it, but the replay upheld it, and I still don't quite get it. But that being said, that was the fourth really explosive play for the Vikings, but the defense did not let that one lead to points. They stood, They stood tall on that one. And then on the first and goal from the eight-yard line, I said this in Insider Inbox, that's absolute quarterback malpractice by Kirk Cousins. It is first and goal. The Vikings were running the ball really, really well. They just run the ball three straight times for 25 yards to get to the eight-yard line. So you go play action on first and goal. I get that. You're going to try to catch the Packers overplaying the run. Somebody slips free for a quick pass. You might get in the end zone on first and goal. Cousins decides to scramble off the boot to try to get away from Lowry and then just throw the ball up for grabs to the corner of the end zone. And, yes, he's saying he's trying to throw it where Diggs would catch it or nobody would, but – Kevin Kevin King is just as fast as Stephon Diggs. He closed the gap in the corner of the end zone. He went up and made the play. Just a bad, bad decision by Kirk Cousins, and the Packers took advantage. And you also got to put, I mean, we talk so much about Kevin King's height, almost probably to the point that it's over the top. But you have to respect the fact that it's a six foot three cornerback that you're putting a 50 50 ball up for. Yeah. 
it's your odds are not great in terms of what. And you're when you look, and when you look at the slow motion, I mean, the ball was in the air for so long that both King and Diggs were on their way down from their jumps as King got his hands. Yeah. It wasn't the right. balls. The ball wasn't actually high pointed. You yeah. know, at the peak of the jump, the both guys were actually still on their way down because Cousins put so much air under the ball, and King was able to get it and fortunately hang on. And the replay review of the automatic review of the turnover, even though the ball kind of squirted out yeah. there as he landed and rolled over on the ground. I was a little worried that that was going to uh, be declared incomplete. But again, I don't quite understand all the rules anymore. But it stood for the Packers, and it was a uh, it was the biggest turnover of the football game. I, I want to touch on really quickly that 30-yard catch. Uh, and as you mentioned, we can talk about the whether it was a catch or not on another <laughs> day. Maybe we'll partner it with the pick play rule. On yeah, the, maybe you know, maybe tomorrow maybe tomorrow's show is just to talk about all of these controversial things that we're trying to figure out. But, but something that stood out to me about the play is actually I believe it was Devontae Adams. I hope I don't misquote the player here, but I believe it was Devontae Adams this past week that was talking about the value of special teams and a. Play player like J.K. Scott, you might be like, okay, what does this have to do with the 30-yard catch? J.K. Scott had one of his best punts of the day on that play, a 48-yarder that put Minnesota back at the 12-yard line. The point that Adams made in his statement was that the farther back that you push an offense, mm -hmm. the more it, it enables your defense to absorb an explosive play. The Packers yes. did that there. That was the one big play that the Vikings made on that drive, and it only got them to their 48-yard line. The Packers were able to make the stand after that. Yes. When you play well on special teams and you control the field position, it doesn't allow those plays to be as backbreaking as they could have been. That should have been a scoring series for the Vikings, and absolutely. instead they ended up having to punt the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, before we go here, Wes, and as I said, I think we'll talk about some of these other longer conversations maybe on uh, tomorrow's show as far as what's going on, but I have a trivia question for you. Hit me. Okay. There are six rookie head coaches in the NFL this year, and I'm talking rookie head coaches, yeah. not new head coaches if they've coached, been right. a head coach elsewhere. Six rookie head coaches in the NFL. How many collective wins do those six rookie head coaches have right now as we speak today? Well, Vic Fangio got robbed of his, right? So <laughs> That's another discussion. That's another discussion for another day. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with three. The answer is two. It is only Matt two. Matt LaFleur owns both wow. of them because – all the other rookie head coaches, Brian Flores, Vic Fangio, and I don't have the entire list yeah, in front Cliff of me Kingsbury. to steal. Yeah. yeah, Cliff Cliff Kingsbury has a tie. Yeah, he has He's, a tie. Okay. Yeah. You know, but no, the other the other rookie head coaches as of this moment are 0-8-1. Wow. And Matt LaFleur is two and zero. Freddie Kitchens has a chance Monday night football sure. to get his first victory. He's he's 0 and one. But um boy oh boy, I mean, um, Th that says it all right there about how tough it can be to win in this league. Now, Matt LaFleur has a two-time MVP quarterback and everything like that, but it's not easy to come out of the gate as a rookie head coach in this league and start chalking up wins, especially against division opponents. And uh, even though there are moments in these first two games, stretches of these first two games that have not looked pretty for the Green Bay Packers, the bottom line is they're, they are 2-0, and and they know what they have to work on. Yeah, and it's incredible, too. I think, to me... Being an NFL coach is probably the most difficult job you know, in all, all of sports. I mean, I don't mean to like put down NBA or Major League Baseball managers. I mean, that's important. But let's be honest, I, I could sit on the bench and do it one time if you give me 162 chances, and that team's going to win, right? <laughs> or 82 chances. 
if you don't have an established leader culture and game plan in the NFL, you're being it's it's sharks in the water. Yeah, right? you're you're sunk. So, and you only get 16 chances at. That's yep. the point I'm trying to make. I'm not right. trying to demean any other sports, but you only right. get 16 chances. Yeah, and I thought you're under a huge a huge microscope every single time your team takes the field. And we will. We can talk about this later when we break down some other action here the next couple of days. But the Vic Fangio game between Denver and Chicago really shows how small that margin for error is. One second separated whether or not the Denver Broncos are one and one or the Chicago Bears are one and one. Not to mention a roughing the passer penalty that, that another thing that we could put on that, that other show, yeah, right? That that everybody in Denver is absolutely up in arms about and rightfully so. But, but but getting back to the original point, I mean, it is so difficult to win in this league. So that's why you cherish it, you appreciate it. I think Matt LaFleur, you hear him talk in his post game, you know, huddle with the team in the locker room. It's a man that is you know, excited, but also understands what it takes. The hours that go into this, mm-hmm. not just this past week, the months that of preparation that go into planning for the two NFC North opponents right off the bat, you have to appreciate it. And unfortunately, you also have to watch it because now you have a Denver yeah. Broncos team that's coming in and they're hungry to get their first win under their new head coach. That's what I was going to say is there are two, there are two thoughts that are going through my head right now. One is that there's no need to make ever make any apologies for victories in the NFL, no matter how they look, no matter how they happen. You don't apologize. But number two, you only celebrate for 24 hours, if not less, and you get yourself back to work because uh, because this this is a tough business. And that was the temperament of a lot of the guys in the locker room. Yeah. They understood that they put another jar on the shelf now, and you know they got to go try to get another one now against the Denver Broncos. Because guess what? In a matter of 10, 11 days, you're playing two NFL football games and you're trying to get out of September 4-0. and There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, a lot of work to be done for sure. With that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. Catch all of that post-game content. If you didn't get it Sunday, it's all on the website now. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services on Twitter. He's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time. Thank you.